eight, I believe, of our series called He Gets Us, and I've enjoyed this series. Before I jump into what I want to share with you today, I want to uh, show you just another teaser. Next week, I will be starting a series on the book of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, we'll spend five weeks in that book, one week each chapter, and uh, so if you want to get ahead of it, read chapter one before next Sunday, uh, but take a look at this video to get a little teaser about that message series. Throughout this series, if you've been with us, uh, you'll know that we've covered a wide range of different topics. As I say each week, if you've missed any of those, please go watch them. They're all on our YouTube channel. Uh, each of them brought something different to the table as it relates to these commercials that we've been watching. But throughout this series, we've talked about things like the struggles of life, the struggles that we all face. We've considered the idea of outrage and anger. And wondered out loud together if perhaps there's a different way. We've talked about anxiety and how this world invites all of us into that never-ending spiral of worry. Of course, the week where we talked about joy and having a good time, that was a favorite week of mine. Maybe it was for you. Then we moved on from being inwardly focused and we took some time to consider some outward principles as it related to these topics. We looked at Jesus' unconditional love for others. We moved on to heartbreak and disappointment and how, for many, those things can bring a change to the course of their lives, literally forever. And then last Sunday, last Sunday we tackled this big idea that Jesus was a rebel. He was a rebel by many standard of his day. He would be considered, I believe, a rebel today, but mostly he invites all of us to be a rebel in our day too. This whole series has been powerful. And to close, I want to consider one final idea. One final idea that kind of encapsulates everything we've been talking about throughout the series. It's one word. One word. You can write it down. One idea. One principle that will impact all of the other seven things that we've already talked about. It's the word priorities. 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 You see... My priorities will determine the struggles I have and the way I am able to view and interact with them. Your priorities will dictate outrage and anger and whether or not they control you. Our priorities will either usher in anxiety and worry or keep the door locked tight on them. Priorities have the potential to exclude joy from life or work tirelessly to find it in every moment 
of every day. Our priorities do that. And the thing to recognize is that our priorities will not only impact us, but it will impact our ability to minister to others. Priorities, in fact, are the secrets to unconditional love. Priorities, priorities, they, they are the secret to walking with people through heartbreak and disappointment. Priorities, priorities, priorities are the secret to embracing the life of a rebel for the sake of the kingdom. Priorities do that. Your priorities, my priorities, our priorities. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to check your priorities. I didn't say say for real at the end of it. And throughout this series, you may have noticed and picked up on the theme. We've had this one theme throughout the series from day one up until today. It's this idea of investing in people. Investing in people. Investing in yourself, perhaps, or investing in others. Because Jesus gets us. All of our hang-ups, our habits, our temptations, all of the things that we face in life, Jesus gets it. This series has been about investing in ourselves, but it's also, of course, been about investing in others, investing in who they are and who they are becoming, leading them, leading others, or maybe perhaps not leading others on the journey from where they are to where God wants them to be, investing in others, investing in people. In order to do that, I would submit to you this morning that our priorities must be right. Our priorities must be in order. And so let's look at this week's commercial to further the discussion. He didn't go to college. I never asked for a raise. He didn't wear fancy shoes. I never took out a mortgage. His friends didn't belong to a country club. His parents didn't have a will. So he worked hard and invested wisely, not in stocks or bonds but in others. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? That's what I want to look at with you today. Priorities. And I want to just look at a few quick ideas about this whole idea of priorities. Here's the first. Write it down. Priorities. We have to give up power in the middle of a world of ambition. In order to have our priorities right, we must give up power in a world of ambition. Church, can I invite us into a moment of honesty and vulnerability? We all love power and control. All of us love power and control. Well, I don't. That just shows you love power and control. (laughs) We... We like to be in charge. We like to have the say. We like to influence people. We like to share our opinions and our preferences and ideas that all of us have on the ways things should be. And we love to make it happen. And I would say power, power, this very big topic of power, it's an important one that we can't fly by too quickly. This idea of power, it really is a drug. This need to be in power is a drug. This appeal to be powerful is a drug. And I would submit that it's a drug that lies to us and it slowly destroys relationships. 
but we come by it honestly, don't we? The world tells us, in fact, that ambition, ambition is the key to success in life. Going after it, getting after it, go get it done. That is a slogan for so many areas of life. We hear it often. We hear it all the time. Ambition is what leads to success. Climb the ladder. Be in charge. Sit in that C-suite. These are the things that all of us should pursue. Because after all, when you're in control, everything will be good. Power is appealing. Power is sexy. Power, it draws us in. And guess what? Satan knows this. The enemy of our soul knows this. He knew this when he tempted Jesus in the desert. One of the things that he tempted Jesus with was power. And guess what happened to Satan's eyes when Jesus said no to giving in to the temptation of power? Satan's eyes went off of Jesus and onto you and me. He says, if I can't get him to give in to the lure of power, I'm going to turn to his followers and convince them that power is key and that somehow life is lacking. Somehow there's something missing in life if you aren't in power or pursuing power. Power is appealing. And did you know? Did you know that Jesus never once pursued power? He never once made power his goal. There was never a single time in all of the Gospels where power was on his to-do list. Never, not once. He never instructed his followers to make power a goal. Power, my friends, is a worldly pursuit. Somebody's not hearing me today. Power is a worldly pursuit. But of course, not only do we come by it honestly, we also are in good company. Jesus' disciples, they struggled with this idea too. We see it clearly. Mark chapter 10, Jesus calls all of his disciples together. And he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. In other words, they are, they are uh, uh, controlling. They say, do what I say and don't ask any questions. They lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. And then Jesus takes this turn like he so often does, but we tend to miss it. He says, not so with you. Circle that if you're watching. Highlight it. Not so with you. In other words, power and control is not the goal. Power and control is not what we're after. Power and control is not the way forward. Not so with you. And can I just say, so many Christians today look like the rulers of the Gentiles. So many Christians today are exercising authority and they love it. But it's not the mission. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, guess what? They must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, although he could have, right? That's the implication there. He's God in flesh. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, but he didn't. He chose, just like he's inviting all of us, with the allure of power, with the appeal of power. Even though it's within our rights, within our reach, we can all be powerful. But he's saying, even I didn't come 
to be served. No, I came to serve and to give my life. These powerful words, they resonate in our minds as we think about this very big topic of priorities. And it begs the question, where's my priority? Is my priority in accumulating more power and control? Or is my priority in being a servant and giving my life? Jesus says to us clearly, power is simply not the goal. Servanthood is. Our ambition should be to head to the back of the line, not the front. But pastor, if we have someone in power, we can do this and change that and enact that. After all, the ends, they justify the means. Friends, it's not biblical at all. That may be American, but it's not biblical. It's not Christianity, and it's definitely not Christ-like. In Christianity, the means are equally as important as the ends. The means are equally as important as the ends. Power is not the way forward. Jesus never once said to us, if you just accumulate more power, then they will become my followers. It's not his message. And in order to have our priorities in order and really invest in people, we've got to give up control in a world of ambition. Here's number two, write it down. We have to surrender the seduction of materialism. We have to surrender the seduction of materialism. <laughs> As if the priority of power wasn't hard-hitting enough, Pastor, now you're going to attack my money. <laughs> yep. Well, not really me. Jesus will. <laughs> he has a few things to say about it. Jesus was unafraid to tackle this subject. So many of us get squirmish or even angry interesting there was a facebook post in one of the town chatters this week you may have seen it and the op the original poster see you trying to learn the lingo the op the original poster they were looking for a church and i should have probably brought it up and quoted them but in their question for looking for a church they said they don't want one that's all about money What does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. And so many of you co commented, and thank you. Hey, try out the Journey Church. It's great. It's great. But I, but I wonder. I wonder what that means for that person. What's happened in that person's life that would make them so standoffish about money in terms of church? Because my faith leads me to believe that the money I have is not my own. That, that the things that I have are not my own. And if they're gone tomorrow, I'll be okay. And, and, and Jesus taught about this. He's not quiet about the things that we have. He's not quiet about how we should support the church, how we should give to the church. How we, should, how we should not view our money and our stuff above our relationship with God. He's clear about it, and it does make my heart break a little bit for that person. Because I just wonder what gets all of us into that position, and for me it's not this. 
but I'm sure I have something else, that we have this one thing, this one area of life that we withhold from God. And somehow we believe or we convinced ourselves that this piece, this thing, this topic is off limits to God. And we draw the line. And yet God wants it all. He wants all of us. And this isn't a message on tithing. I'm not even going to go there today. (laughs) Praise God. But can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen to our world if all of us just simply did this? Reminds me of some scripture in the book of Acts, the first church. And if you read through the very first church there, you'll see that they actually brought all of their possessions together. And then they distributed to anyone who had need. And how we in the American church would find that as something just unreasonable and unimaginable. In fact, for some of us, we'd say, that's socialism. That's Marxism. Well, it's biblical. And that's hard, right? That's hard to wrestle with. That's what the Bible, I didn't say that, that's what the Bible says. And it's just so interesting to me that, that the very topic that the Bible really does spend an amount of time on that we struggle with it the most, although I'm not surprised. Because it's like power, isn't it? I believe it's a stronghold of the enemy. I think money is the biggest stronghold of the enemy. Because the enemy convinces us we don't have enough. The enemy convinces us that if I run out, God will leave me. The enemy convinces us that somehow there's a scarcity behind things in life. I was talking with my wife yesterday about a friend of ours who really needs to make a move and, and um, they need to get into a better position. And, uh, and, and I said to her, well, can't, can't we just... Can't we just give him some money to help him out? Well, yeah, I guess we could. Because it's not mine. It's not, it's not mine. And if I can help somebody else out, okay. I'm, I'm, I, know, I know I'm camping out there a little bit, but I only have like three sentences in my notes, so <laughs> got to fill our time with something. <clears throat> but, but we know this, don't we? We know, we know materialism. We know it's seductive. How many of y'all, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of y'all spend time daydreaming about what you don't have? Four-bedroom home, pool in the backyard, a basement, yeah, yeah. No stairs, no stairs. I mean, I don't know how we get to the basement. Just fire, Fireman's pole, elevator, yeah, okay. <laughs> just shove them down. Um, did I mention vacations? Did I say that one already? That's a tough one, isn't it? Just wait until wait until the wait until the snow hits. Wait until the snow. Maybe I'll preach this again after we have like a foot of snow on the ground. See how many of you are dreaming about getting to Florida or something, right? Noel, you can't jump into my notes like that. What about Jordans? Shoes. Say the chicken. She said the chicken. 
She was jumping on DoorDash. <laughs> Will they deliver to the church? <laughs> All right, fine, either the shoes or the food. How about that? Or the basketball player or the whatever, right? Things that we just don't have. And so we know it's seductive. We know it. We, we spend time just dreaming about the things that we do not have. You know what the Bible says to us about the things we have? Be content. It really doesn't need to say anything else. It does, but it doesn't need to say anything else. Just be content. And yet so many of us are discontent with what we have. And it just points to that allure, that seductiveness of materialism. And honestly, it can control our lives if we're not careful. We control how we make decisions, how we choose to love others or not, the jobs we take, the relationships we have. It can affect everything. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. I'm going to talk about churches for a minute, and I'll let you guys apply this to individuals. I know of churches that have millions of dollars in the bank, and I'm like, what are you doing? There are people that are hurting. There are people that are homeless. There are people that are hungry. There are people that are in prison. There are so many people that need help. How dare you store up treasures for yourself on earth? Now, I knew that would rouse something because I'm talking about churches. I know of individuals, fill in the blank, where moths and vermin destroyed, where thieves break in and steal, but, again, this, this whole Jesus flip, right? But, but, but. Back, 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 back. Back, 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 back. But, it says but. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You're good. It's all good. There it is. So much truth in that last sentence, isn't it? We've, we've unpacked that. You've probably heard a sermon on that dozens of times. But the idea that treasure, the stuff that you have, that materialism, is deeply connected to your heart. And when your heart is full of those kinds of things, those kinds of thinking even, it can leave no room for God in your heart. And then for some of us even, that material collection we have, the account balance, the extravagance of our vacations, the clothes in our closet, that material collection that we have actually becomes this measure for us of how much God loves us. We imagine for ourselves that if I have those things, if I have a big bank account, if I have the dream home, if I'm able to take four or five vacations a year, then God must love me. And if I don't, then there's something wrong in my relationship with God. Let me just put it this way to you. There are several in our church right now who have unexpectedly lost their jobs lately. Does that mean that God loves them any less? Does that mean God loves you more? Of course it doesn't. Our material collection, the things that we have and the things that we own, in no way points to God's love view, or acceptance of any one of us. So stop viewing it that way. <laughs> it's a dangerous, slippery slope. Here's number three. Write it down. Investing in people. We have to invest in people. It's a topic, but it really is a countercultural approach, isn't it? I'm not going to spend much time on this. We talk about this one a lot, but Jesus famously says this new command I give you. Everybody say new. new. 
new command I give you. What is it? Love one another. Love one another. As I've loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. How? If you love one another. The number one way for all of us to be countercultural, to be in the world but not of the world, is to radically love one another. It's not power, it's not materialism, it's love. If we want to be different than the world, if we want to offer something that's different than anybody outside of Christianity experiences, it will be the love of Jesus shining through you and me. And as we've seen throughout this series, Jesus' approach to love and to compassion and all those topics was different than the cultural one. It's why he was a rebel. It's why he was ostracized. It's why he was killed. Because of his love for others. And the way that you and I, as it says very clearly here, it's the way that you and I love each other and the world around us, it's also the greatest indicator of the transformation that Jesus has done in each of our lives. I'll get controversial for a minute. Uh, Imagine, imagine that. Uh, this, this war that's happening between Israel and Palestine. I posted on Facebook that I was praying for everybody involved. Why? Well, because that's what Jesus instructs me to do. And somebody, you may have seen it, somebody in the church commented, and they just said, I, I don't know how you can do that. <laughs> it's so hard. How can you pray for terrorists? And I said, well, I, I really can't but the Holy Spirit inside me can. It's a Holy Spirit thing to pray for your enemies, to love your enemies. Come on, somebody. This is a Holy Spirit thing. And when we try to do it on our own, we will fail 100% of the time. It's why we're able to offer love unlike the world has, because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that gives us that ability to love others even when they're unlovable. For you and me, if we find ourselves in these moments, we have to lean into the Holy Spirit. We have to lean into God's promises and God's protection because it is the greatest indicator of his transformation inside of us. When we live out Jesus' new commandment, we bear witness to our relationship with him. And the way that we love others outside of these walls is exactly what should attract them to the gospel message. You know this, our world is looking for something different. Your neighbors, your family members, your friends, your coworkers, they're looking for something different, friends. They've tried what the world has to offer. It's time for them to experience the new command that Jesus gives to all of his followers. Here's number four. Number four, we have to embrace Christ-like selflessness. Embrace Christ-like selflessness. In order to have priorities in order, we must embrace Christ's life selflessness. And what specifically is that? I'm so glad you asked. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one life, one's life for one's friends. And all in one moment, Jesus offers us this simple one-sentence poem that foreshadows what he's about to do on the cross. 
but also nods to the future to all of us and says, if you're going to follow me, you have to go all the way. And did you know that we have daily or at least weekly opportunities to lay down our lives for our friends? may not be aware of this. It may not be an actual physical death, but you and I, we have regular opportunities to lay down our right to be right. We have regular opportunities to lay down our preferences for another. We have daily and weekly opportunities to lay down our offenses. We have regular opportunities to lay down what we want most for the sake of our friends. When we read this verse, we read it poetically, don't we? We read it and we let ourselves off the hook by saying, well, whenever I'm in that moment, I'll lay down my life knowing that Hardly any of us will ever be in the moment of a physical death in the place of our friend. We say, yeah, I'll do it. But then when it comes to the simple ways of dying for our friends, we hold on to those and we say, it's my right. It's my belief. It's the way I am. When it comes to getting what we want, how quickly are we to die and allow our friends to instead get what they want? You see, this verse is much more practical than we interpret it to be. There is, I believe, a daily application of this verse, but we have to look for it. We have to find it. And we have to align our priorities with it. It can be as simple as somebody cutting you off in traffic. You have every right to show them your pet bird. You better not have a Journey Church sticker on the back of your car. Hmm. When my rights get in the way of the mission, it's always the mission. And the first century church understood that. The disciples understood that. The disciples died for what they believed. For us, we won't even keep our middle finger down for what we believe. Number five. This is my last one. We have to leave, live out Jesus' selflessness today. I love to end. Worship team, why don't you guys go ahead and come on back up on this one? I'm going to wait because you guys distract everybody. This is a good point I'm getting ready to make. Give it up for our worship team as they come back up. No, it just give me this mic. Colossians 3. What a great way to end this message today. Colossians 3. Bookmark it, mark it, highlight it. Therefore, therefore as God's chosen people. Do I have any of those in here today? God's chosen people. Holy and dearly loved. What we're going to do is we're going to get dressed each and every day. We're going to clothe ourselves each and every day. We're going to put these things on because you know what? They fall off so easily. 
We have to intentionally and purposefully put these things on. These have to be our priorities with each day that passes, with each interaction that happens, with each moment of every day. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. And then it says to bear with each other. Man, how bad we do at bearing with each other. We think everybody should be as far along in their spiritual journey as we are. We think that everybody should have the same preferences and opinions and doctrine and theology as I do. Everybody should be as friendly as I am. Everybody should be as introverted as I am. Everybody should be as quiet as I am. Because then the world will make a better place. Instead, we need to bear with each other. A few of them over here laughed. It was good. We had a moment. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, if you didn't see it, I post on social media, unforgivable. Unforgivable. If you're looking for a book to read, unforgivable. I forget the author. Unoffendable. What'd I say? That's a different book. Unoffendable. Thank you for that correction. Unoffendable. Great book. Great book. If you struggle with carrying offense, it will it is a book that will give you practical steps to take each and every time, even ahead of time, that will help you break the cycle of offense. Forgive one another. If, he, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive how? How should we forgive as the Lord forgave us? That's big. That's huge. I'm not going to unpack that. And over all of that, put on love. Over all that. So you're going to put on all these other things, gentleness and compassion. And then over top of all that, you're going to put on your heavy coat. People are going to see the ones underneath. But the first thing they're going to see is this heavy coat on the outside. And guess what that coat's going to signify? Love. Love. Put on love each and every day, each and every moment, each and every interaction. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so we land the plane there. And I ask the simple question of all of us today. Are those your priorities? Because I would submit they should be. Not to make an America a Christian nation not to fight for laws that benefit our political stances. Our priority is not even our own comfort or our own progress. Instead, it's all of these. Compassion over judgment. Kindness over outrage. Humility over pride. Gentleness over force. Patience over hostility. Forgiveness over offense. Love over rejection. And unity over division. Cannot be put any simpler than that, church. So, 
as we've concluded each of these series or each of these messages, we have one more text series for you. And so if you'd like to sign up to get those, I just got my last one this morning. Anybody else get theirs this morning? I may have been a day late signing up. Okay. It was actually kind of good to get it this morning, I thought. But you can text the word priorities. It's a hard word. I should have just put the letter P or something. Priorities. Three I's, one O, one E. 844-444-4444.